Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is Mailbag. What is Mailbag? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take a part of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, what if you're one of those people who can't watch during those live hours and you watch one of the other 22 hours during the day? You can get your comments and questions answered as well, and that's why we do these mailbag shows. Now, if you've got a comment or question that you'd like Rob and I to address on mailbag, simply go down to the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that there or enter it in manually at www. That's the wrong one. There it is. www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on our show if we deem it appropriate to be read on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time and all of us involved with the John Campia Show and Mailbag. Thank you guys so much for your support. And I am, of course, joined today by the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today? John, it's another great day to answer our viewers' questions, comments. I love doing this. By the way, side note, earlier today on the John Campia Show, somebody brought up the fact that there was a report going around that Blue Beetle which Warner Brothers is developing to a movie and that they said was originally going to be made for an HBO Max original movie, much like the Batgirl movie. There's a report now going around that it's going to go actually theatrical. And we looked into it and we did some checking of our own and talked to some people we knew. And yeah, it is. It's it's absolutely true. Blue Beetle's going theatrical. How cool is that? Which man? is very cool. I thought that was one that should go theatrical. I know. And obviously they're, they're day and date strategy in 2021 didn't work out so well no sir no it did not it did not work out well. and uh and it's good to see them going back to uh to this kind of a model anyway that's kind of good to see but guys we're not here to talk about random stuff we're here to take your comments and questions so let's start start getting to it shall we mark netto writes hey folks which celebrities have you met inadvertently for me i was on vacation in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, back in 1987, casually walking down the main drag, looking into a tourist trap, only to look back and be face-to-face -face with George Hamilton. He's one of the Beatles, right? George Hamilton is... Oh, no, the actor, the actor. The actor. I'm thinking of... Um, Love at first bite. You're thinking of George Harrison. I'm thinking of George Harrison. That's right, the actor George Harrison. But you're Hamilton. not a Beatles fan, John, so That's you right. would, it wouldn't be right off the tip of your tongue. I know. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor, almost too close, actually. Felt sorry for them after the folks I was with chased them down for autographs. Any circumstances like that for you folks? Well, I mean, given the fact that we live in L.A., it happens once in a while. Yeah. My favorite one, though wasn't me it was actually ann now we had done i interviewed vince vaughn a couple of times but the most important one was when they were promoting their movie De the delivery man with vince vaughn and chris pratt and as a part of their marketing of this movie vaughn and pratt came into our studio mm at the AMC Burbank 16 and hung out with us for a couple of hours during the day. We, first, they did a big, long interview with us, and then they hung out there for the rest of the day to do a live Twitter thing. And it was great. And both of them, Pratt and Vaughn, couldn't have been nicer. And what happened then was about a year later, Anne was, uh, this was back when she was still working for Hasbro. Hasbro was having this big professional day at this big hotel somewhere in Santa Monica near the beach. And Anne and a few of her Hasbro friends were in the lobby of the hotel when out of nowhere, her and her friends hear somebody go, Anne. And they turn around and it's Vince Vaughn. And Vince Vaughn came over and said hi to Anne and talked for a second. And of course, 
in front of all of her other Hasbro friends. Anne now was now looking like a superstar, right? Like Anne is looking like she's looking like she's the queen of the hill. So I just thought it was so amazing that Vaughn remembered from like a year earlier. And then a year later saw her and decided to go out of his way and go and say hi, and made her look cool in front of her friends. So that was kind of, so that was a random kind of out of nowhere one, but yeah. that's my favorite one. Rob, you've lived in LA for a long time. You've had any of these inadvertent ones. Uh, my favorite, John, I was in, in 2007, I was in Hawaii and I was in Hawaii with a bunch of filmmaker friends and we're, we're staying at a place called the Kahala, which is on Oahu. And I had just watched the first four seasons of the West Wing because I'd be given the box set for the holidays. That's a good gift. So I'm sitting on the, I swear to God, I'm sitting on the beach. I'm looking down. I see this dude and like his wife and their kid walking. And I'm like, that's Aaron Sorkin. No. I swear to God. I go, that, that's Aaron Sorkin. And everyone's looking at me. That's not Aaron Sorkin. I go, I swear to God, because I'd watched special features. I'm like, that's Aaron Sorkin. So you know me. I got up. I went down the beach and I said, excuse me. And it was totally Aaron Sorkin. And I said, Mr. Sorkin, uh, my name is Robert Burnett. And I just finished watching. I started talking to him about two cathedrals, the episode where, <laughs> where, where, uh, where President Bartlett is railing at God in the church after Mrs. Landingham is killed. And he's laughing. And I said, I can't believe you're here. I, Listen, we got some friends over here. We're just hanging out, having some beers. Why don't you guys come over and hang out with us? He totally did. Really? Him and his wife and his daughter, and I think he was divorced, but he was there co-parenting with his wife. Couldn't have been nicer. Was hanging out on the beach in Hawaii. Random Aaron Sorkin. Not just uh, running into him, but he actually came over and hung out. That's and a very cool it story. It was crazy. I mean, it was just... But it was one of those things where, where it was so unbelievable like i had just if i hadn't watched the episodes and knew what he looked like i i might not have noticed but it was one of those things where i had west wing on the brain right and it was like it was like it was one of those things where you're like this can't be happening that is not aaron sorkin but i'm like it is and i was having this moment where i didn't tell anybody till i was pretty sure it was and nobody believed me and then of <laughs> course i got up because I would do that. And then I, I I didn't let him. I hope, Mr. Sorkin, if you watch this and you remember this, I hope you didn't think I was being too forward. <laughs> I was cool about it. That was cool. But that's a good one. All right. Next up, we got uh, Crunko Pop writes. <laughs> so the Wanda theory, who did she have kids with and when? How old is she supposed to be in Age of Ultron? <clears throat> uh, she had kids in Sokovia. I mean, that's a good question because we, we've been having this theory that well, it's not our theory, but there's a theory going around that the reason we've never heard of mutants is at one point in the MCU's history, Wanda Maximoff said the words, no more mutants, and wiped mutants from reality, and so everybody in reality has no memory of them, right? Which meant she would have had to have had those kids, the two sons, that she lost, and the sons we see in WandaVision are actually manifestations of her subconscious memory of her two kids, but that does raise a question. Well, how old is she supposed to be? And and how old is she? Because how old is um, Elizabeth? Uh, she's 30, 33. She's, she's 33, right? So you could arguably say she was old enough and stuff like that. So that's a very good question. I'm going to assume it was in Sokovia. We saw in WandaVision that is indeed where she grew up. So yeah, that very well could be. But again, the theory may not be right at all, Crunko Pop. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. All right. Thanos was a butterfly, writes, <laughs> and he tips in like $20. Thank you, Thanos, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Um, uh, the Viceroy drew me in years ago, and I've been listening ever since. Keep up the great work. 
Any possibility you will have a fan screening of Thor Love and Thunder? Uh, work travel to LA area around July time. I'd be happier than a Vespa dealer on Tatooine to attend. <laughs> um, maybe. I mean, we're we're about to have our uh, a John Cabe show fan screening of uh, the Batman. Yeah. On opening day, the fourth Friday, the fourth. Uh, I guess it'll depend on how it goes. I mean, if it's a miserable experience, then no, we'll probably never do it again. <laughs> If it's a great experience, then we'll, we'll probably do it for Doctor Strange 2, and we'll probably do it for Thor Love and Thunder yeah. and all the significant things that come out. But that's one I would do. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be fun. I'm with you too, man. You know, we should do one for Elvis too. <laughs> I don't know if Elvis is going to be a big know. enough one. I, I, but it's a fan thing, but just because I I'm very excited about that movie You're a myself. song dance man, so, yeah. you know. I'm looking forward to it. All right, next up, Miles writes, I've been binging Yellowstone, nice, Wow, what an amazing show. I'm on season four. Do you think we will ever get a Yellowstone theatrical movie, or is there no point? Uh, I know I'd love it. Thanks, and bring on the filthy. First of all, yes, Yellowstone might be my favorite show on television right now. I, I think it might be the best show on television right mm -hmm. now. Uh, there's certainly an argument to be made for Succession as well. But I don't see any point of making a theatrical film. Um Generally speaking, there has been the odd rare exception like X-Files, but generally speaking, people don't go to the movies for things they can watch for free at home. And that's kind of played itself out before. Again, X-Files was one of the exceptions to that. But while it's a show on TV and doing very, very well for Paramount and one of the few big successes Paramount is having in the world of television right now, I really don't see what would be their game or the point of putting out essentially what would just be glorified two episodes put back to back. So I'm going to go on a limb here, Miles, and guess, no, we won't We won't see. Now, ask me about five years after Yellowstone goes off air. Right. Maybe. But for right now, no, I don't think they're going to ever do one. All right. <clears throat> Stubble McShave writes, I don't think this will happen in Doctor Strange 2, but the internet would explode if there's a scene where multiple universes are fluctuating in two-second segments and one of those features a DC character for two seconds before it changes to another universe. I mean, maybe, but why? I mean, having the idea of the original Spider-Man popping up in Spider-Man. There's a narrative reason to be excited for that because there is connection to that. There's purpose for that. What's the purpose of having, you know, in a Doctor Strange 2 multiverse of madness, quick fluctuation and, oh, there's Ezra Miller's flash for like two seconds and gone. What's the point of that other than mindless, pointless fan service? Where we were talking the other day about fan service can be great if it's built into the narrative of what the movie is. Otherwise, any kindergarten child can write that. Okay, so then Doctor Strange sees something in the flash. Sees I'm like, any child can write that. There's nothing creative or inventive or purposeful about that. So, yeah, would people freak out? Sure. But the same way a group of puppies would freak out if you dangle silver keys in front of them. I, I would only say this, John, as it's been reported on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. James Gunn did get Ezra Miller and Jace Momoa in costume to shoot those pops for the end of Peacemaker. Yes. What if James Gunn, when he called up to Kevin and said, yo, Kevin, and he's like, they're going to be on the set of Guardians 3? Do you think you could shoot a few other uh, lines of dialogue for me? 
little because they James Gunn did say in this interview that he let Ezra Miller riff, like improvise, and he said it was one of the great improv sessions of all time. And they filmed him for like a half an hour shooting improv. It's adorable you think Kevin Feige has the authority to greenlight that. Well, I mean, he, he <laughs> no, but he greenlit that shoot. So sure, he allowed but him, that was But I'm just saying that, that what what if James Gunn just for fun said, you know, just what James if? Gunn doesn't have that authority either. I know, but they have the footage. This shows way above them. And uh, I, it, but I'm again, just saying, I mean, what's the point? Yeah, well, I, I mean, mean if it was we, just a quick pop in the multiverse, I mean, it could be cool. I'm not going to lie. I might be the only guy to do this. I would roll my eyes. It's like, this is completely pointless. This is just, this is, this would have as much purpose as having a, a girl in a shot flash her boobs. I mean, well, I mean no, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong about that. But what if like, and you're seeing various iterations of the multiverse and it was just a quick pop, like flash, you see flash running because of flash. I would still something. think it's cheesy. I would think it's abundantly be, cheesy. Come on. Not, not even a little smile. No. from you. No, I, I would honestly put my hands in my on my face and go, "Oh my god, how right, stupid!" Okay. All right. I, I mean, I, I mean, unless there was word came out that they are actually there is narrative purpose and they're building towards a larger storyline thing, in which case then it makes sense and it would have a purpose, right? But we know that's not happening, at least not anytime soon. So, nah, I, I, <laughs> I'll be the wet blanket on this. I just think it would be dumb and pointless. Again, it's I, I gotta be, say, I get we're children and they'll just be jangling keys. Ooh. Yes, yes, John, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I am so there for I it. I am there for Jangle it. Jangle those keys, buddy. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, we've got Multiverse Rob who writes, <laughs> Rob, what do we have to do to get a 4K release of Blue is the Warmest Color? The world needs it and the final battle in Endgame <laughs> has nothing on this movie. Well, I mean, look, I, I get it. For people who actually appreciate art and film, Warm is the bluest color is a beautiful movie. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful. Blue is the warmest color. Blue is the warmest color. What did I just say? You said warm is the bluest color. Warm is the. I've been reversing my letters all day, Which, and like, that's a totally different movie. But it is warm is the blue bluest is the color. warmest color is a comic book adaptation. It's an adaptation of a graphic novel, and it's it's also very much a human story. Yeah, it's a very personal story. Whatever. But let's be honest. The reason a lot of people would be saying, oh, make that a 4K is because there are lesbian scenes in it. And it's like, okay, guys, I get it. But, but grow up a little bit. Uh, it's a I, beautiful artistic film. No, it is. And it is, it was put out by Criterion. Yes. So so I don't know if there there might be a 4K. I There's been a lot of really interesting stuff coming out in France because Studio Canal has been doing a lot yeah. of 4K upgrades. And they've been making a lot of partnerships too. Yeah, I could see it happening. I could see it happening because the film is prestigious. It won the Palm d'Or. Um, I don't know if it will, because it, if you look at that film, it is mostly faces. A lot of the whole movie is close-ups of faces. Yeah. It's a beautiful. I love the film. I dearly love that film, but it's devastating too from a romantic standpoint. It's really heart wrenching. But I don't know if we'll get that only because visually, it's not something people go, "Oh, I've got to." Well, for the obvious reasons, I gotta have that in 4K. But yeah. but but it is from the way it's shot. I don't necessarily know if it's the best use of 4K. Mm. But I could see it because of its prestige, getting a 4K release. But I have yet I have I haven't heard anything about that yet. So all right, next up, uh, we've got "Don't Tell My Wife." That's a that's a wor words to live by. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a username. I'm, that always follows with me. 
uh, about the hot toys I pre-ordered. Well, uh, it, it's it's attached. Oh, it uh, is. Don't tell my wife, writes. I just got $4,000 from a class action lawsuit I randomly signed a few years ago. Which hot toy should I get? No way. I've already pre-ordered the Schumacher ones, the Baby Yoda ones, and I cannot wait for the new Batman figures when they're announced. So, Rob, let me ask you. You're just <laughs> I handed, was kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was You're kidding. handed a blank. Of the, uh, do as you please with, check for $4,000. Not do as you please with. You got to get something from Hot Toys. What is it you get? One thing you get from Hot Toys. Is there one thing that maybe you haven't even allowed yourself to get? Maybe because it was well, a little too cost prohibitive? Uh, first of all, if it's something I like, he, I love our viewer mentioned he's getting the he's getting the Val Kilmer Batman and the Chris O'Donnell Robin that comes out in April, theoretically. Those are great, great figures. But I, you know what, John? I would probably, here's what I would buy. I would either get the quarter scale Mandalorian Ooh. I would get the quarter scale Mandalorian or what they just announced a couple days ago, the Back to the Future 2 DeLorean, which is like $900. Because you already have a DeLorean, do you not? I don't have the DeLorean. I've got the 89 Batmobile. And I well, our friend Cliff has the DeLorean. Yes, yes, he has it. I don't, but he's got to the he's got the Back to the Future One DeLorean, not the Back to the Future because they haven't put it out yet. And this one has the rotating the wheels, so it the, it's the flying DeLorean. And what's the scale on it? One sixth, so it fits the figure. So it's like this big. That and it's nine hundred dollars. It's nine hundred bucks. Yeah, and you, it lights up. That's what I would buy. You need a check. You need that four thousand dollars. John, check to get that. Well, you, perhaps you could help help a brother out. <laughs> yeah, dude. If I can't get it, you can't get God it. God damn it! <laughs> All right. All right. Next up, uh, Luke writes. Hey, John. There was an eight K version of the Doctor of the Doctor Strange trailer in the Multiverse of Madness, and the mis mysterious lighted up character that looks like Captain Marvel's power looked like Jonathan Majors as Kang. What are your thoughts? I didn't see it. I saw a lot of people writing that theory around. I I did not see that in there at all. I mean, that's not to say it's impossible. That figure can literally be anybody. It can be anybody. And by the way, that could be their misdirect. For all we know, that's a character that isn't all flamed up looking at Captain Marvel at all. Yeah. Right? So if there's somebody you think it looks like, then that's probably Marvel trying to make you think it looks like them. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's going to be Kang. Kang's coming in Ant-Man 2. He's not a surprise character anymore. So I, I'm, I wouldn't be willing to put any money on that. But it can at this point be any. It can be a Tony Stark. It can be Captain Marvel. It can be anybody. I mean, it can be a Johnny Storm. I mean, but I don't think it'll be Kang, but it's possible. You got any kind of bets on who you might think that might be? I, I mean, the only thing that I was thinking, because people have said this, is that it's Tom Cruise's superior Iron Man, if we're getting that, <laughs> which right. that's a big I mean, it's like saying Mephisto's in WandaVision. I mean, everybody everybody and his brother apparently is cameoing in this movie as somebody. Right. So until I see it, you know, like you, I don't want it to be some cameo fest. I think having Patrick Stewart in it as Xavier as part of the Illuminati, maybe they're all from destroyed universes. That makes sense. Yeah, because that's, it fits into the story. Yes, and that's what we both want. We've said, I just don't want to see a bunch of rando, except Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to see any random, like just a bunch of rando characters just showing up like, hey, look at all these variants because one, Hot Toys will make those variants and oh, I'll yes, hop to the bottom. And, but no, I just think, like you said, it has to serve the story. 
So I don't know who that character is. They've clearly went to some lengths lengths to obscure who that person is. Because yeah. even when you slow it down, they knew we were going to slow it down. Yeah. Even when you slow it down, you can't tell who it is. No. Which is, again, why one of the arguments, I mean, we've already established there is, Ryan Reynolds is not in, in Doctor Strange shoot. That's 100% established. He's not there. Take that to the bank. But to people who think they see him in the shattered piece of glass... If Marvel doesn't want you to know that if Deadpool was in the movie and Marvel didn't want you to know, why would they put him anywhere on that piece? of? Glass? I agree with you wholeheartedly. It, they, it's just not what they would do. So that's no. all right. What's next? We got Raiden X who writes, hey, guys, about the James Gunn Suicide Squad show. I think it might be about Ratcatcher. I think that's a great guess. Yep. Uh, she did play a big part in the movie with Taika Waititi as her father. Could be a, a prequel show showing how she got into the Suicide Squad. Thanks. I mean, so for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, there James Gunn has already said he's working on developing. Now, whether he'll write and direct it, we don't know, but he said he's working on developing another Suicide Squad spinoff show that's going to have a kind of a different sort of flavor than Peacemaker. <clears throat> Ratcatcher would be a very good and obvious kind of choice. The character probably had the most emotional depth out of any of the characters in Suicide Squad. That moment where we see her father, Taika Waititi, and the younger version of her. I'm trying to remember the exact line. Like, all of us, we are all something or other. Yeah, but, yeah. And then understanding that he he fell to his own demons and things like that with drug addiction and stuff like that. It is a powerful, moving story that really didn't get explored very much. And so I could see them focusing on an adult rat catcher. It can even be after the events of Suicide Squad. I would prefer that to a prequel to Suicide Squad. Uh, but that's as good as my only other guess was King Shark. That was my other guess, but that's it. But I really like the piece. The uh, I do too. One. Maybe Polka Dot Man. Yeah, I could see. But his, again, that would have to be a prequel. Yeah, no, absolutely prequel. You'd be learning who he was and where he came from. I could see that character because he's very James Gunn. Yeah, you know, or his his pathos or whatever happened to him. Again, I just I, I hesitate about the idea. Okay, but we already know what happens to this character now. I know you're right. I mean, it probably would focus on him and his mother, who he who he sees everywhere yeah. and who he hates. But again, I, I'd rather a story move forward like Peacemaker did. Yeah, I agree. But I don't know. But I think Ratcatcher is a, is a really, really good guess. Okay, next up. Raiden X also writes, with all the Doctor Strange talk recently, I'm still kind of bummed out that we didn't get a proper Dormammu. While, while the I've come to bargain scene slash moment was awesome, it still left me like, wait. That's all the Dormammu we're getting? Well, I mean, Raiden X, you got to keep a couple things in mind. Number one, nobody cares about Dormammu. I mean, when it comes to the average movie-going audience, even most of the people who saw Doctor Strange do not remember the name Dormammu. Right. That, so the general audience really doesn't care about him. It's not like a Joker or or something like that where it's it's a villain that the audience knows about and you know, like where it's a, a, a Doctor Doom or something like that. Nobody knows who he is and nobody cares. Uh, I mean, those of in the know probably care. Beyond that, really what... There's a theory going on that Dormammu, or as some people pronounce it, Dormammu, um, might be behind the manipulation of Wanda. Like if Wanda does go bad, there's a theory going out there that Dormammu might be the one behind it, which isn't a terrible theory. The problem I have with somebody like Dormammu include, and this is the same problem I have with like something like Galactus. How do you make that interesting in a movie? 
Like, Doctor Strange can't fight Dormammu. Um, the Hulk can't fight Galactus. It's, it will be, a, each of those movies would be a race against time to come up with a loophole. Much like Doctor Strange, you know, doing a trick and saying, I've come to bargain and right. doing the time loop thing to kind of trap him and force his hand. That's what all the, that movie would become is a loophole. Nobody can fight him. So I, I, I think we've seen as much of Dormammu as we needed. I, I'd be perfectly fine if we never saw him again. But if they do bring him back, it'll have to be for a really good narrative reason. And the theory that some people have about Doctor Strange 2 and his connection to Wanda could be that. I know, Rob, like, you, you've been reading this character for, for a long time. You're familiar with him. Do you think there's more avenues they could explore in an MCU with, like, a, a Dormammu? There always could be. And, and if you're a comic book reader, these these villains especially, is ha they've had different iterations over the years. But for a movie-going audience, unless a villain is incredibly memorable, you've been there and you've done that. Mm. And I think that when, they're, when you're part of the fun of watching the MCU is they bring in new villains. You know, there's you can bring back old villains if you want, but you want to see new villains that you've never seen before. And I think Dormammu, the the that character, because it's so fantastical, not that Multiverse of Madness isn't, but it's like if you overuse that character too much, I think it loses its potency. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Like if he comes point. back again, the way they used him was incredible. It was great. It was so much fun in that first Doctor Strange movie. But unless you're going to do something even better, what's the point? Right. Then it becomes another race for Doctor Strange to come up with another loophole. Right. Exactly. You're right. Exactly right. Next up, Degovi writes, I got a mad idea. What if Deadpool is in the Multiverse of Madness? It's just not played by Ryan Reynolds. He's played by Hugh Jackman. Kills two birds with one stone, gets Deadpool in the movie, and Hugh in the MCU. Well, I mean, <clears throat> number one, it is absolutely possible that we see a poster of Deadpool on the wall or somebody walking by dressed as Deadpool, whatever. The only thing I know for 100% sure you can take this to the bank is that Ryan Reynolds himself is not in the movie. Could they come up with something else and like have a version of Deadpool, whether it's in a background? Yeah, that's possible. They could. Again, there's no purpose for it. Right. And I can't help but think that if they brought in, if this was Thor Love and Thunder, Rob, and they were talking about the possibility of a Deadpool appearing and whatever, then a Hugh Jackman appearing as a variant of Deadpool, that kind of fits the tone of what a Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. Is a moment in Doctor Strange 2 really what they're looking to get? Because I don't think it would be anything but a quick sight gag. And I don't know if that's, that's still Sam Raimi, but it still doesn't feel like it would fit in this movie. So, I mean, but, but it's possible they could have some variation of Deadpool that's not Ryan Reynolds playing it. Yeah, it, but I also think you're right. I mean, what is the tone that they're going for? If, if you've got this great tone and it's dark and it's foreboding and then you throw a Deadpool appearance in it in the middle of the movie, it could shatter the tone that the movie had been building up since it opened, yeah. since its beginning. And you don't want that to happen. I mean, it would have to be... And I, I honestly, John, I don't know if I'd want to see Deadpool as a cheap cameo. You know, we, both of us are in agreement. We don't like just cheap cameos. And it might be a throwaway joke, but would it serve the story they're trying to tell? Imagine if Black Panther's first appearance in the MCU was as a cheap cameo. It wouldn't have been good. No, it would be it would be unbefitting the MCU. It would be 
you know, beneath the character of Black Panther. Deadpool is a little bit of a different kind of character, but uh, you you want to introduce him right. Yeah. Not in something like that. So I agree with you. All right. Next up, Sino1010 writes, only found your show in January, but I've been loving it and is now a staple to listen to while I work. Well, thank you so much for that, Sino. It's good to have you here, man. The Peacemaker intro dance is a play on the old Space Invaders Atari game, Alien Movements. Very cool when you think of the context of season one. Is that true? I don't know, but I, you know what? I love this idea because, the, you know, the arm, dude, the, dude, 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 the whole, dude, yeah, dude. And the whatever? I would not put that past James Gunn to say to his choreographer, hey, I want to be I want it to be redolent of space invaders. Well, if if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, but I think the choreographer of that dance number is um oh, why am I freezing on his name? From Resident Alien, Alan Tuddock. Oh, is it okay? Um, is his wife. And apparently he helped with the choreography of it but i know there's some online uh interview with them where they're talking about it and i wonder if they mentioned that because i i've never heard that theory but i that haven't either like it fits but yeah i love that that's what they did now let me ask you this john for this we know peacemakers getting a season two a lot of the people that appear in that intro are no longer with us yes you know do they keep the same song or do they do an entirely different song with a different dance to open Peacemaker season two. You change the song. <clears throat> you change the song and you try to strike, you get lightning to strike twice. You try to find another song that's like that, like this glam metal song from an era that's probably under the radar that a lot of people have never heard, but can be perfect for it. So you do the same thing, but you do it with a different dance and a different song. Yeah, that's I think that. so. At least that's what I hope. But that is a great thing to point out. See, I did not know that. I didn't know that either. I want to believe it's true. I want to believe it's true. I don't know if it's true, but I, I want to believe it's true. All right, next up. Great Grapthar's Hammer writes, Well, thanks to me upgrading my PS4 copy of Uncharted 4 to the PS5 Legacy of Thieves collection, I got myself a free ticket to see the Uncharted movie. Watching it tonight with my wife, and as a fan of the franchise, I hope for a fun time at least. Well, here's the thing. Look. Rob and I didn't like the movie. I think I liked it a little bit more than Rob did. Uh, I certainly think it had some things going for it. I, I think Tom Holland was right in the role. Yeah, he was terrific. I think the set pieces were impressive. I think the action choreography was really... The bones are there. Yeah. They just did a number of things, in my opinion, really wrong. Most egregiously, the, the, the questing and the map following. That was so ridiculous. It just took me out of the movie a lot. But the bones are there. And the reality is... A lot of people want to go see it, and even a lot of our viewers are saying they saw it and they enjoyed it. Nobody's saying they loved it to death. Right. But a lot of people are saying they enjoyed it. And again, we checked in on Rotten Tomatoes, the verified audience rating for over a thousand people who have confirmed bought tickets and went to go see these movies. 90% of them are saying they liked it. So our guess is, at least my hope for you, uh, Great Grabthar's Hammer, is that I'm going to bet that you're probably going to enjoy it. At least I hope that you do. Let us know. All right. Next up. Angelic Annihilator writes, Hey, John, first time sending in a tip. Well, thank you for sending one in, Angelic. WandaVision is my favorite of the Marvel shows, mine too. But the only thing I didn't like was the Ralph Boner nonsense. Why in the F did Kevin Feige do this? I'll tell you why he did this, because it was unfucking believably brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Anyway, let's keep going here. Surely he knew that the fans would not be happy. I'm a fan, and I'm fucking really happy he did it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, anyway, me too. Uh, 
let's see. We're, let me keep going here. Surely he knew that fans would not be happy. I still think we will get Evan Peters as Quicksilver in the future at some point. No. If we're going to get Quicksilver again, it's going to be Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think. I refuse to believe that Kevin Feige and Jack Schaefer's humor is on the same level as a group of third grade boys gathered in a school bathroom telling fart jokes. Uh, here's the thing, Angelic. I 1,000% disagree with you. Because here's the thing. <laughs> if... The, the whole notion, because believe me, I've been doing this show or variations of it for a long time. And so believe me when I tell you that whenever like casting things like this come up, this is the type of casting that fans would come up with all the time. Like, okay, so there's going to be somebody in it who's going to kind of trick Wanda into thinking it's her brother. You know what fans would say? Go get Evan Peters. That's, you can deny it all you want. I am telling you, doing this for 15 years, this is the exact sort of thing that fans would always write in and say, get Evan Peters to do it. That would be amazing. <laughs> and if Kevin Feige has shown us anything, Rob, he loves to misdirect the audience. He loves it. And if history tells us anything, we as fans seem to love it when he does it. Yep. And... When Evan Peters showed up in WandaVision, I was the only guy who said to everyone, that ain't Quicksilver. To which I had a lot of names thrown at me. It's John, you're this and John, you're that. It's obviously the real Quicksilver. And I said, no, it's not. This is Kevin Feige doing a misdirect. And sure enough, it came up being, now look, I get it. Some people are butthurt about the, the name choice they used. Kevin Bonner, oh, pronounced Boner, right? I, I get it, whatever. But take the name choice out of it. Right. This was a brilliant piece of casting. It got everybody talking. It got everybody buzzing. And every, it was it was front and center with everybody. And it did exactly what it wanted to do. He was fooling Wanda. And he was fooling us. And on that level, I thought it was absolutely a stroke of genius that he did it. And the proof is in the pudding. Everybody buzzed. I will say this, though, Rob. The one thing that really bothered me hmm. was... I've stopped watching them, to be honest with you, but after every one of their shows now, Disney does a little making of documentary episode, like, you know, the making of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the making of this. They did one for WandaVision, hmm. and they never talked about the Evan Peters' Quicksilver thing. Yeah. I'm like, that's the one main thing everybody would want to talk about. But maybe there's a reason for that. There might be. There might be, but I don't think it's that Evan Peters is actually Quicksilver. No, um, but uh, we might know coming up in uh, May. <laughs> You never know. Never know. But, you know, Rob, we're now quite a while removed from when WandaVision came out. What do you think about, as we look back on it, that casting decision they made to have Evan Peters as the fake Pietro? Look, I thought it was it, it did what it was designed to do, which it got everyone in a lather talking about it incessantly on the Internet. What great promotion, free promotion. We're being played, people. Kevin Feige is playing all of us like the fiddles we are. He's, <laughs> he's rosining up his bow and he's drawing the bow across the strings and it made an evil hiss, just like the devil when he went down to Georgia. Kevin Feige is playing us all the time. And you know what? We are his willing supplicants. Please, Kevin, tell us something more. Whether we believe it or not, we're going to talk about it on the internet all day long. And you get free marketing. All right. Next up. Korea got Seoul rights. 
Hey, John and the gang. So I'm interested uh, if you guys have seen The Cuphead Show. It's on Netflix and it just came out. It's based on a video game that is hand-drawn animation, which pays homage to the 1930s cartoons. It's pretty good, but hard. PS4 has it. Um, I've seen a lot of the game. Like it's been, oh, it feels like every year at the Video Game Awards, there's the Cupheads is up there. I had no idea they were doing a show though. I didn't either. It's the first I've ever heard of it. Oh, so you're unfamiliar with it too? Unfamiliar with it too. Okay. Which, it's not surprising it's on Netflix. How would I know it was there? Yeah, Netflix, the <laughs> teaching a masterclass and how to keep your shows hidden from people. Had no idea Korea got, so I might have to check it out at some point. Thanks for putting it on our radar, man. Netflix certainly didn't. Uh, all right, next up. Dangerous D writes, Hey, John. Last year, Warner Brothers announced rebooting Under Siege for HBO Max. Since then, there has been no word on the progress, no cast announcements. Is it safe to say that this project has allegorically sunk to its demise? Have you heard any news? Are you disappointed? Well, I mean, first of all, I've heard no news. Heard nothing about it. That's part of the problem. Uh, but I've heard no news about it whatsoever. That, however, does not necessarily mean that it's come off the tracks, right? Like how long ago did they announce Black Adam? And we're now just five or six years later finally gonna be getting it. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. However, I wouldn't be surprised to hear if it died because when they announced that they were gonna be doing a reboot of Under Siege for HBO Max, I didn't hear one shred of enthusiasm from anybody about it. Now, would I give it a chance? I absolutely would. Would I be heartbroken and disappointed if they didn't do it? No, nah, I'd be perfectly fine if they didn't. So it could very well be dead, but I don't think just because we haven't heard anything doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. All right. Thanks for asking, man. Next up, Dangerous D also writes, Hey, John. John Cena took to Twitter reporting that episode nine of Peacemaker had the biggest single day performance of any Max original series and earned a 44% increase in viewership over its pilot. Then he thanked the fans for success. What do you think? Well, of course, we talked about that today on the John Campy yeah. show. Um, it's amazing. Amazing on both fronts. Number one, absolutely amazing has become the number one viewed thing on HBO Max as far as their original series goes, but also the incredible growth between its debut episode and its finale, once again, proving the point that the week after week thing kind of does that. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is that the reason that 45% more viewers is that people heard about it and it's what they want. They want more subscribers. They want new people coming to their service that aren't signed up they hear about peacemaker and it takes if you just did it in one weekend john people would talk about it and be done but the eight weeks two months and that's a lot of build-up time for people to be like well i guess i should subscribe to hbo max then and to that point somebody wrote to me uh at the uh john at the john campus show thing to, to send it in as a main topic it didn't do it as a main topic but somebody wrote into me about the week after week release strategy versus um the all at once drop yeah they brought up ozark the new season of ozark and they wrote into me now i i don't watch ozark so i don't know this but they wrote in and said ozark got dropped however long ago it dropped he said it's one of the best seasons of television i've ever seen and no one's talking about it everybody talked about it for a few days and he said, I haven't heard anybody talk about it since. Well, and interestingly enough, they split up the final season into two blocks. Right. One seven, ep they're both seven episode blocks. And I think the next one airs in June. But you're right. I mean, I, it was incredible. It was incredible. But even Elizabeth and I, we binged it in two days. We watched it. And then once we watched it, like, that was great. And then Sunday, we started on a Friday. We finished Saturday night. Sunday rolls around. We're on to the next. Yeah. I didn't even get a chance to see anybody to tell him about how great Ozark season seven or season four was. 
Whereas, if it is that good, and again, I don't know because I, I haven't seen it, but if it is that good, and they released it every week for seven weeks, how much would it maybe have gained traction in the conversation? Dude, I, I totally agree. And, and it leads up, when you, when you get to the end of episode six of Ozark season four, it is positively apocalyptic. Where they leave the characters, I was like, Oh my God. And I'm like, click time for the episode seven. Cause we couldn't. And once it went down, I mean, we experienced Elizabeth and I like, this was amazing, but then it was done. Like there was no time to even think about it outside. You just watch it all. And then you don't think about it anymore. But you, we would talk about game day, baby. You know, we would every anticipate week. every week for, yeah. for, for two months. Yeah. And that's all that's exposure. That's us telling people, our subscribers and viewers that were excited to see this show, they might not have tuned in. They tune in because of our enthusiasm. All of that is gone when you drop something. I mean, I, I haven't talked to Ozark about Ozark to many people. I think you and I right now, this is the longest conversation I've had about <laughs> Ozark season seven. And it's really, really, really good. All right. Next up, we got Dangerous D also writes, Hey, John, Stranger Things season four will be split into two parts and season five will be its final season according to Entertainment Weekly. Once we talked about that on the show last week. It has been three years since we last saw new episodes, and to be honest, I've lost my enthusiasm to this show. Are you still excited? Yeah, I'm still excited. I mean, three years, is, it is an unfortunate length of wait. It, it really is, but there were extenuating circumstances. It was that long? I'm old. I'm yeah, dying soon. That is that has kind of affected everything in the industry. Yeah. And listen, the very fact that the news about Stranger Things season five or four, I should say, garnered so much attention, kind of proves that the, the enthusiasm's still there. So yeah, it's unfortunate that I had to wait this long, but I don't think the enthusiasm for it has gone anywhere with the general viewing public. So, and I think you'll find that enthusiasm comes back once we start seeing trailers yep, and everything. Too. I agree. That'll be the, the real proof. All right, next up, we got Josh who writes, if I'm Marvel, I am immediately trying to make a post-credit scene to capitalize on the hype of Deadpool. What hype of Deadpool? Uh, anyway. Well, the hype uh, that he might be in. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine a flash and boom. There's Deadpool looking uh, looking at Rogers, a Rogers the musical sign. Looks straight into the camera and says, we are going to have effing fun now. It would it would ruin the movie. Uh, let me let me phrase. That's too extreme. It would ruin the moment of the movie. Yeah. That, th look, number one, there is no momentum for Deadpool right now. The general audience has knows nothing about these conversations that we're having on this show. Um, and then what's the point of capitalizing on something if you don't do it right? And we were just talking a little bit earlier that you don't bring in Black Panther into the MCU as a quick cameo in Ant-Man. You bring him in properly in Civil War, make him a significant character, have him fit into the story and have an important role to play in the narrative. The, while while I get what you're saying, Josh, that doesn't fit anything of what we've seen from Doctor Strange at all. And if anything, it would be jarring and out of place. Now, if that was in Thor Ragnarok or Thor Love and Thunder, that's a different story. That right. fits right in with the tone of it. Plus, but not here. You don't want Deadpool to overshadow Doctor Strange's movie. Yeah. I mean, you For never... A cheap pop. Yeah, you never want to... Like, uh, what I loved about the trailer, the last trailer for uh, Multiverse of Madness, is it seems like it's about Doctor Strange. With all the variants and all the craziness that's going on, 
it seems to be centered squarely on Doctor Strange. What he's done, what he's going to do, and all the maelstrom of craziness surrounding him, it's still about Stephen Strange. It's not about what variants or cameos or that's what I worry about. We don't want that to happen. We want it to be Dr. Strange's story. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Tom who writes wild theory for you in Dr. Strange two. What if the room and chairs, which we all think are for the Illuminati are actually going to be variants of Kang. The line we hear from Patrick Stewart is actually from a different part of the film. Um, I've heard that theory. Again, I don't see how or why Kang fits into this at all. This, this is not, Kang's realm, this Doctor Strange mysticism realm, it's really not it. So theoretically, it is something they could do, but what would be the point of doing that? First of all, it's not even a good misdirect because they're not even showing us really anybody who's in the chairs. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't see how it fits in. It, it, I don't see how Kang, look, is it impossible? Absolutely not. Absolutely not impossible. Does it make any sense that it would be Kang? I don't see it right now. Maybe after we see the first 15 minutes of the movie, we see sense. But right now, I don't see any sense. Rob, what about you? I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think we just have to wait and see. You know, and I, I look, I believe they're teasing the Illuminati or whatever for a reason. And Patrick Stewart's there for a reason. So, all right. We shall see. Next up, we got an anonymous viewer writes, Hello, John and company. Did you guys catch the trailer to Father Stew? Yes. It looks like Wahlberg and Mel Gibson are doing a movie together. It's being completely financed by Wahlberg. Seems to be a passion project for Wahlberg. Keep uh, keep being awesome. Yeah, I I saw the trailer. I like the trailer. I do too. I'm not sure I'm going to like the movie. Like I've seen I've seen a lot of trailers where I got man that trailer was awesome, but I can just tell that movie's going to stink. I'm not saying that about Father Stew. No. But while I thought the trailer was good, it didn't really move my needle on wanting to run out and see it. No, the trailer told us all the twists. I mean, yeah, kind of did. I mean, I'm it? watching the trailer going, okay, it's you can tell us one element of the story. I thought I, I when when uh, uh, she tells the girl, the love interest tells him, you know, you're not even Catholic or whatever. There was so much there. I'm like, oh, I could watch that movie. Then it just went on and on. Then he becomes a priest. Then this, he has a muscular degenerative disease. I'm like, it's almost like I'm watching a parody movie that they would do on a Saturday Night Live. They Lodge even sketch. showed the redemption of the relationship between the father and son. Like, they showed it all. All of it. And I'm not sure it was like, I felt the need to run. The, the true story is very inspiring, though. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see how that kind of turns out. All right. Next it, up. It did look good. It was a decent trailer. Um, old Danny Boy writes, I'm sure it's been mentioned about 100 times before, but I love that Eagly miss, misses his mark in the Peacemaker intro, <laughs> looks down, realizes it, and then takes the extra step forward. James Gunn over there doing the Lord's work. I'm not so sure that it was a movement of them showing him getting back on his mark. I thought it was just Eagly kind of just being an eagle and then calling attention to himself. And then with his wings. Either way. It's just another part of the brilliance of that opening number. Uh, and the whole way they've used Eagly. Yes. It's been brilliant from the get. Yeah. And then they got to, what was it? Episode four or five, where it's like, oh, where he starts ripping out people's eyes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Eagly just ain't some cute animal oh, who hugs. Right. He's straight up murdering people. Like, he straight from up the best. murdering people. Yeah. I love Eagly. All right. Next up Dangerous D writes uh, Hey, John, uh, there are images coming out that Batman and Cyborg. Uh, were supposed to be included in that finale of Peacemaker. 
Apparently, the picture shows the original image that has Batman and Cyborg along with the rest of the Justice League. Why do you think they were digitally cut? Eh, yeah, I heard that too. Actually, I even saw a post from the guy. It wasn't Ben Affleck, but the no. guy they hired to be in Ben Affleck's Batman yep. suit. And he just they just mentioned that, yeah, I don't know why they took me out, but they, they took the character out. Still, it was fun to be on there. Um, I don't know why they chose to take out Batman and Cyborg. I mean, I can have my guess, but it's just like baseless guessing. A baseless guess about Batman. They've already got a lot of Batman stuff going on right now. Yeah, and also, look, mm -hmm. cy there's no Cyborg movie coming out. There is a Flash and Aquaman movie coming out. Yeah. So, you know, they probably and are like... And there's a Wonder Woman movie uh, yeah. that's coming, and I don't know about Superman. But, but still. they did. That can, I can speculate and guess baselessly that they didn't want to add to any confusion about the status of Batman. With the Cyborg one, that doesn't take a rocket scientist. I think we all have a guess about why they didn't have Cyborg. Sure. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter. I mean, I love Ben Affleck's Batman, but it doesn't matter that he wasn't in that scene. No. and, and It wouldn't it, have mattered if Superman wasn't in the scene. It doesn't matter that Cyborg wasn't well, the in the scene. the idea that Justice League all doesn't have to go everywhere together all the time. Yes. You know, maybe there's other things going on that other members of the Justice League had to attend to. By the way, question. Was that the first time in universe they've ever referred to the group as Justice League? I can't, I can't remember. It might very well be. They may have in James Gunn's Suicide Squad, but I don't remember. Mm. That might have been the first time we actually heard them referred to because they didn't. Re they were never referred to as the Justice League in the Justice League. Right. So I mean I don't know. I'm just. I'm just wondering. That's a good question. Now I want to know the answer to his. The, the answer at the end of the day, though, it yeah, they weren't there, and it doesn't matter that they weren't there. I mean, that's that's ultimately the very fact that we had Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller was and, enough. And their exchange. I mean, another thing I've been seeing a lot of people online, they disrespected Zack Snyder's Justice League, and I'm like, I thought it was hilarious. By the way, it's not like people don't joke. You know, it's not like they can have a few off-color moments. Just because they're the Justice League doesn't mean they don't have fun. You know who thought it was awesome? Jason Momoa thought it was awesome. Yeah, he, yeah, he did. And it was awesome. If you're an idiot and don't see that, that's all. That's on you. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. And I love Jason Momoa's Aquaman. I, I thought too. that was a great joke to put in there. It was no more disrespectful to any of them than any of the jokes that Peacemaker made about Green Arrow. Or, although, did you see what Stephen Amell said? Yes. It was a pretty damn funny. I take it in spirit of good fun. Oh, yeah. But it was pretty damn funny because some, somebody asked Stephen Amell <laughs> on Twitter, you know, what did you think? Because, you know, he makes a joke. Yeah, uh, Green Arrow, he goes to brony conventions as the back part of a horse with a big open butthole on it or whatever, right? And somebody asked Stephen Amell, what do you think about that? And Stephen Amell says, I haven't seen the show. I've been, because you remember, Stephen Amell right now is doing a, a show called Heels. Right about the world of professional wrestling. So Stephen Amell replies, I don't know, I haven't seen the show. I've been too busy showing John Cena what professional wrestling is supposed to look like on TV. That I mean, come on. That was that a, is a great dude, retort. A great retort. That was a very I, good I mean, response. I also should tell fans that these guys are having a great time. I mean, this... I believe so, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the... This, I think it was all done in fun. All done in fun. So yeah. good. So, that was a great... No, that was, that was wicked. It was... And, and, and hilarious. Yeah. Come on. Just as the whole end scene and the build-up to the joke of Aquaman going, I'm so tired of that rumor. And Ezra... Because here's the thing, too. Ezra Miller then turned to him, it's not a rumor. And then having Jason Momoa say, fuck you, Barry. 
Because not only was that hilarious in and of itself, but to me, more than in Batman versus Superman, Justice League, or Zack Snyder's Justice League, it showed real chemistry between the members of the Justice League. Yeah. Better than in Josh Whedon's version, better than in Zack Snyder's version. That moment and that little exchange for me between Momoa and Ezra Miller had the best chemistry between the members of the Justice League that I think we've seen on screen yet. It was hilarious. It was so much and fun. fuck you, Barry, is one of my favorite lines ever in television. <laughs> I thought it was great. Anyway. All right. Next up, we go to Jed Elias, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, if he's there, and he is here. Not sure if you're an animation guy, but would you ever consider doing a movie club for Pixar's Up or another one of Pete Doctor's movies? All his films have changed my life significantly, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Oh, listen, I can guarantee you, I don't know which one and when, but I can guarantee you we will be doing some Pixar films. Yeah. There is no doubt. Like, there are several, like, Incredibles has to be one of our movie club movies. One or multiple numbers of the Toy Story movies has to be on the thing. Up has to be. One of only, I believe, three animated films in history to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. That's going to be on our list at some yeah. point someday. So, yeah, rest assured that will absolutely happen. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Jed. Next up, uh, Tar Heel 65 writes, Dear John and Rob, do you think Hot Toys will come out with a 1-6 scale version of Lex Luthor, General Zod, Ursa, and Non from Superman the movie? Actually, that's Superman 2. Um, well, actually, I guess they did appear they're in, in the yeah, first the, one yeah, yeah, for, yeah, the for a moment there. If Hot Toys did this, my life would be complete. Don't tell my wife I said this or she'll get medieval on my ass. What do you think, Rob? Can we see those Hot Toys? You know, they did do the Christopher Reeve Superman. They did the evil Superman from Superman 3. <laughs> Drunk Superman. <laughs> Drunk Superman. But they didn't do the three outlaws from Krypton. Man, I could see them doing it as a two-pack. I don't think Hot Toys will do it now. I think that ship has sailed. But that's not to say third-party companies, unlicensed companies like SoSo Toys that made Stephen Amell's Green Lantern and made uh, Green uh, Robin and uh, yeah, Green Arrow. Oh, did I say Green Lantern? Green yeah. Arrow. Um, yes, that made those figures. Like, I just got the Martian Manhunter from Zack Snyder's Justice League. We might see those figures in the future. I think that's those would be great. I would love to have all three of those figures. All right, next up. We've got Steel who writes, I just saw Uncharted, and as somebody who played the games, it's pretty good. Holland definitely got to age some, but not that bad of a movie. As of now, it's got 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, at least an 88% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So happy others are enjoying it. Also made 15, also made 15 opening night. My guess is 75 opening weekend. Well, yeah, no, it came in well below 75 opening weekend. The official opening weekend, of course, was 44 the long holiday four-day weekend came in at 50, which is a big jump over Sony's projection of 30. Yep. Um, and now it made like $136 million worldwide on its opening weekend, which means it's on course. Pardon me. If it can have some legs, it'll be on course to break and even and maybe make a little bit of money, which means, yeah, we might actually get an Uncharted 2. We'll keep our eyes on it, Steel. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Hello, everybody. Spring is just around the corner, and I'm ready for summer. With the sandals and the theme song from The Endless Summer 1 and 2, the best documentaries ever. Endless Summer 2 follows the path of ESI 30 years later. I'm not going to lie. I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about. Surfing. Endless Summer is a sur surfing oh, I documentary. I did not know about yes. it. Yes. Yeah, and they're quite good. They're oh, really, okay. really good. And I'm assuming the sandals is like a theme song from yeah. the movie? Yes. I have, you know, I have, I have... You would like you would like endless summer. Well, see, I'm not a, I'm not into surfing, but I mean because growing up in Canada, I mean I didn't do a lot of surfing, but I was I mean I did a lot 
of stuff like we grew up on the water and things like I would do subduing and uh, you know uh, water skiing and stuff like that. But I've never ever surfed. Oh, but you like the doc? The documentaries are good. All the right. endless summer. You're following. You're literally following summer around the world. Oh, that's so, pretty. So, fun. Yeah, it's all the it's all the surfers. All right. You know, because we're in the middle of well, down if you go to Australia, they're in the middle of their summer at the end of their summer. <laughs> all right, so, you sold me. You got me sold. Thanks good. For, thanks for writing that in, anonymous. All right, next year. James O'Rourke writes, one of two. Good day, Campia crew. I've been re-watching a few X-Men movies uh, as of late in prep for Doctor Strange 2, and I noticed something. Though, yes, there are clear continuity issues with the films, they flow better than I had previously thought. Uh, so, that in, so that in return got me thinking about Deadpool and the sheer mass of con uh, conversations in regards to that one particular shard of glass. In your opinion... Do you think it is likely that that is definitely Deadpool, yet uh, he still isn't in the movie? I can see this being a running joke in Deadpool 3. There could even be some flashback in Deadpool 3 that takes place during Doctor Strange 2. Let's hear those thoughts, you filthy animals. P.S. Had a lot to say. Sorry. No problem, James. Thanks for writing in your thoughts. All right. I can only tell you my own personal opinion here. And whether my personal opinion here is right or wrong, we'll have to wait till the movie comes out. Yeah. Personal opinion number one. That, is, that isn't Deadpool in that shard of glass. I'm sorry, it's not. When they wanted to put something in the shard of glass, like Captain Carter's shield, it was absolute crystal clear as day. Why would they hide something on a piece of key art? They want you to know what it is. They're selling you on the yeah. film. But again, and if they wanted you to recognize it, they made it very, very clear. Yeah. So number one, I don't think that's him at all. I think people are kind of seeing what they want to see. But I might be wrong. I'm just saying that's my kind of opinion on that. Now, the thing that is not my opinion, but I am telling you is an absolute fact. Ryan Reynolds is not in the movie. That's absolute fact. That doesn't mean Deadpool can't be. <laughs> I don't think he will be. It makes no sense that he would be, and that ain't Deadpool in that shard of glass, I don't think. But um, I know, Rob, you've had a chance to look at this shard a lot. Has, has your opinion at all changed? No. Do you, see, you, don't, you still don't see Deadpool in no, it? I, I, no, I don't see Deadpool in it. Uh, right. somebody, somebody sent me a picture of the shard and then they actually photoshopped in a Deadpool into the shard. Right. And I'm like, I see it now, but no, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tar Heel 65 writes, Hey, John and Rob, FYI, I bought all my hot toys over the course of a year instead of one day. Okay, oh that's the one who wrote about $35,000. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, my wife is still mad at me. Nothing says romance like taking out a second mortgage to buy hot toys. Thanks. Well, okay. Uh, no judgment. No judgment here, Tar Heels, from us. No judgment. However, <laughs> these things are meant to be things like pops, hot toys, something collectible. These are meant to be side enjoyments, right? Things we enjoy that are luxuries. Yes. We do not encourage going into debt for any kind of luxury. Or taking out a second mortgage. <laughs> yeah, like um, a, a first-class cruise around the world. Well, at least then you got those experiences with the person you love, I suppose. Yeah. But even then, I, I would I would say going into debt for luxuries is not wise. And that's as, your grandfather talking. Yeah, maybe, but my grandfather talking is what's kept me out of debt my whole yep, life, that's right? Right. So I would say, look, here's a basic principle of mine. 
and I and look, I am not a financial expert. I'm just telling you what's worked for me. If I can't afford to buy something outright, that means I can't afford it. Yet, there's a reason I drove a piece of junk car for eight years. Even though I was making six figures at AMC and Collider and stuff like that, fact of the matter is I couldn't afford. And well, you can get and put down payment and I get it. That works for a lot of people and that's fine. I'm saying I have a principle for myself that if I can't reach into my pocket and pull out the money to pay for something outright right now, then that means I can't afford it. And I'm going to wait and save my money however many years it takes me until I can. And then I buy it. And, and people will look at me and say, well, how did you afford to buy a Tesla? Because I drove a piece of shit car for nine years and I did nothing but save my money. I saved and I saved and I saved and I saved until the day came that I was able to buy it. Because if I bought it on a payment plan or whatever, then I'd be paying more than what the sticker price is at the end of the day. And I'm cheap. I'm a cheap son of a bitch. I don't want to pay one penny more for something that I want to buy. So except for my house, which there's, I will never have the money in my, my bank to just outright buy a house. I, not I, yet. Not yet. I purposed myself many years ago, before I ever moved to LA, before I ever met Anne, my personal philosophy on finances is if I can't afford to buy it right now with what's in my bank account right now, that I can't afford it. And I would say, just my opinion, that I think hot toys fall under the category of a luxury. So again, no judgment. You do you, man. You do you. But I would not recommend to other people to go to take out a second mortgage to buy hot toys. Rob, you're the hot toy man. What do you think? John, here's the problem that I have. I agree with you. The, my problem is, is that I will, I will not buy a hot toy until I have all the money to buy it. It's just that when I buy it, in two days, rent's due. And then I have no more rent. So, and then I, my philosophy is, I'll figure it out. No, I, I kid, I kid. Yes, I, I agree with you 100%. Even though I haven't been able to live my life that way all the time, I do agree with you in theory. I just wish I was strong enough to live my life that way because it would have been a much better life, to be honest. And again, I'm just telling you what works for me. That, that's just what works for me. That doesn't mean it's going to work for you or or suits you. You do you. I'm just telling you what my personal and, philosophy is. And by the way, how do you write to us about your hot toy collection without telling us which hot toys you have? Give us a little taste. Just Come a little on. bit. A little taste. I, it's got to be a lot of them, though. I, I want to know which what figures. Do you buy Star Wars figures, Marvel, DC? What do you buy? Because $35,000, that's probably at least 120 figures. Oh, that's a lot of figures. It's a lot of figures. All right, next up. But you always get more. Yep. Anonymous writes, Hey, John, I've been thinking of the Kingpin's portrayal in Hawkeye compared to his glory in Daredevil Netflix series. Is it just me, or does it seem they've reduced him down to a low-level street mob boss instead of the all-powerful Kingpin from Daredevil? Well, look, this is, again, going to be an ongoing debate, and people don't like what I have to say. They all want to believe something, and that's fine. But the reality is this. It ain't the Kingpin. This is not the same Kingpin that we had in the Netflix series. But John, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio said, yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio said a lot of contradictory things. Like, you cannot, like, the moment you say, oh, yes, he's more powerful than he was before. Well, that ends the discussion. It's not the same guy. In, when you go into Deadpool, sorry, <laughs> Deadpool on the brain, when you go into Daredevil, and his history is explained in, in Daredevil, and then Hawkeye explains his history very differently. It's not the same guy. 
Now, he can say, I played him as the same guy. To me, it's the same guy. You, he can say that all he wants, and that's great. But the, the bottom line is, the moment that Kingpin and Daredevil is right-handed and in here he's left-handed, it's a different iteration. It's a new version. And so, and I think we're going to see that very clearly once we do explore, explore Charlie Cox's character more. Because there are going to be things that are very, very, very much true about Charlie Cox's Daredevil and Netflix that are no longer going to be true or the same once he gets into the MCU, whether it's a different character playing this role or a different this or whatever. Different iteration. Different iteration. And you can say, well, the Netflix Daredevil and Kingpin were from Universe 6B217, and this version are variants of those, but it's from universe XY72B-4. They're almost exactly the same. Right. But minor differences. Again, at least the biggest thing to me isn't even the power level difference, which is clear and obvious. There's a clear and obvious power level difference between the Kingpin in Daredevil. And so, well, maybe getting unsnapped gave him power. Funny, nobody else on the planet got power right. from being unsnapped. But... To me, the biggest thing is the background story. Hawkeye, Clint laid it out that he was, you know, the big guy was this, and then he took over the, the, uh, the tracksuit mafia, and he built him up, so he ran this town with the tracksuit mafia. That is not the kingpin from Daredevil. So, look, Kevin Feige may come along and show us directly in a movie or a TV show that this is absolutely a one-to-one -one direct... Uh, the same guy from those movies. And if he does, great. But until that happens, I think it's pretty clear it's not. But Rob, a lot of people don't agree with me and that's totally cool and I might be wrong, but how do you see it right now? Well, to me, it could go either way. First, my first inkling to say it doesn't really matter. I mean, these are characters that are- the no, characters. You are 100% right. Yeah. You are way right. I mean, they're playing, they're playing the same characters. <laughs> it's an iteration of Daredevil. It's an iteration of Wilson Fisk. Did what happened in the Netflix shows actually occur? Was that them? Don't know. All I know is that they've brought the same actors back to play these characters again. And I would tend to defer to what they're like in the Marvel shows because that's where we're at now. Right. And just leave it at that. All right. Next up. Chaplin's Girl writes. I like that name, by the way. Uh, greetings, John and the John Campia Show family. I discovered this channel last fall and have been enjoying your content ever since. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, Chaplin's Girl. So I've been watching the press junket interviews for the Batman on YouTube. I know Andy Serkis has been interviewed for print publications. Um, I was curious about his absence in the latest round of interviews. I assume he probably wasn't available due to prior commitments, but I was looking forward to hearing from him. Thanks for all that you do and bring on the filthy. Well, I mean, there's two possibilities here. Robin, I, I think you'll agree with these, but let me know if there's a third. Possibility number one is exactly what you just said. That, hey, listen, Andy Serkis is now a successful actor, writer, and director. So I wouldn't read too terribly much into it if he's not available for every stretch. There's a lot of movies where one or two of the stars don't make the press junket yeah. rounds and aren't able because they're, they're kind of busy or whatever. The other thing is, the four key main characters in this movie seem to be Batman, Bruce, Selina, Edward, and uh, Cobblepot. And Alfred is probably maybe the fifth or the sixth after Commissioner Gordon yeah. 
important guys. So if you've got to have your main cast on the press tour, it strikes me that Alfred probably isn't one of them. So I really wouldn't worry too much about or read too much into it. And trust me, I'm sure once the movie comes out, we'll hear a lot from Andy Serkis. Yeah. But he's probably either busy or he's just not needed at this point. What do you think, Rob? I think you're absolutely right. Plus, he is. I mean, I know he's got movies lined up to direct, so he could be in prep for that. But it's not like people are like, we have to hear from Alfred. And by the way, even if he's not right now in production on a movie he's directing, he could very well, like, a lot of these directors and these filmmakers will literally put in months and months and months up for a pitch that they take and get ready. So, I mean, he could have a lot of stuff on his plate right now because he's pretty hot right now. Yeah. He's pretty hot right now. All right. Next up, we got Matt Fitch who writes and sends in like a $20 tip. Thank you so much, Matt, for tipping to our channel on that level, man. Appreciate that. Well, it only took around 10 years, but finally watched Breaking Bad every episode in one week. I don't think words can describe how great that this show was, especially seasons four and five. My life feels complete now that I'm done. Best TV show ever. Now time to watch El Camino. Well, I take a pass on El Camino. I don't think you're going to be missing anything if you decide to take a pass on El Camino. I, I didn't think El Camino was bad. No, it was all right. But it you can easily skip it and you're not going to be missing out on anything in your life. Breaking Bad is fantastic. It is in my top 10 favorite shows. It's not in my top five, though. Uh, but Breaking Bad is absolutely fantastic television. It's amazing how it caught on with people just caught fire. Anyway, what, what are your thoughts on Breaking Bad? I did Bad? the same thing our viewer did. I bought the Blu-ray, the 50-gallon oil drum. Oh, nice. It, and it's a great set of the entire series. And it came with a really great documentary. I'd seen sporadic episodes, but I hadn't seen it. You know, and I sat down and binged the whole thing in a week. And I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. And I went in and started watching Better Call Saul, but it wasn't, this was like three years ago. So Better Call Saul was new. And then I stopped and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until Better Call Saul is done. And I'm going to buy the same, whatever they, I don't know if they're going to make it into a briefcase, whatever they're going to do. But whatever the Better Call Saul box set is, I'm getting it. And the day it comes out, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to binge the entire series. And I know it's controversial, but you and I have talked about this before. I think my favorite episode was the one that's very divisive amongst a lot of Breaking Bad fans. And that was The Fly. You know, directed by Ryan Johnson. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, I it, Look, is that episode kind of a detour in yes. a way? It, it, it is. But I think it's a brilliant bit of television. Just like the Sopranos episode, the Pine Barrens episode, when they're they're stuck in the cab of the car overnight. Right. You know, that's not a typical Sopranos episode, but it was still great. The Fly is a great hour of TV. And by the way, the other thing about Breaking Bad, even some of the greatest television shows of all time have had a very rough landing with their series finales. Even the greatest shows, like a lot of the greatest ones, as Seinfeld, hailed as one of the greatest television feats ever in history, not a very good finale, right? It, it's not unusual for that. Breaking Bad had a terrific finale Dude. to me. That, that just one scene where he breaks into that rich couple's house and he says, you're going to do this with my money. Oh, and by the way, and he hits a remote that puts a laser scope on their heads. I've hired the whatever brothers or whatever they were. Uh, the moment you deviate from this, 
they're going to take you out. And you're going to live the rest of your life knowing that you're always going to be watched. If you deviate, and obviously it's just a big part of his plan, but I'm watching this, I'm like, damn it, he thought this through. It was okay. so good. And I got to mention, I have to mention, because I, if I think back to one of the most shocking moments in my, it, for me personally, watching TV, the death of Gus Fring. Oh, uh, dude. As he comes out, he sh adjusts his tie, then he turns his face I, to the camera. <laughs> uh, it was one of those moments where I, I literally just gasped. And I watched. I went back and watched that like twenty times for his performance oh. alone. Oh my god, incredible! So good. All right. Next up, Sam Fisher writes one of two. I just finished David Tennant's Around the World in Eighty Days. I liked it. Uh, they actually set up a second season by teasing the plot to Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea <laughs> with uh, Phileas Fogg and friends reading about a series of missing ships in the ocean. I love it. So it looks uh, like Nemo's crew. But I'm wondering if they should do it anthology style with Tennant now playing Nemo, not Fogg. Like how American Horror Story did with the same actor playing different roles huh. uh, to the season. I never watched this. So this is this it's a is new show. I, I don't even know if it's come to America yet. Okay. This is a new thing. And uh, I, I'd love to see it because I love David Tennant. I used to grow up. I, when I was growing up, I used to read a lot of different stories of Captain Nemo. And it, then it was a thrill to be working at satellite studios at the time when we got contracted to do some work on uh, the uh, League of Extraordinary yeah. Gentlemen. And we did some work on that film. Horrible movie. Yeah. Uh, but I remember just to work on something that had Captain Nemo in it. Like to me, that was a pretty big deal. My favorite live action Disney film to this day is the original 20,000 Leagues on the Sea. Yeah. I love that movie. A lot of people it's do. from the 50s. All right. Love it. Next up. We've got uh, uh, Coochie, Coochie Man writes, my top 10, number 10, De Palma's Blowout. Number nine, Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. I'm glad you do. That, that movie did not get the love it deserved. No, I love that it movie. It got an Academy Award nomination, so got the love it deserved from filmmakers, but a lot of the audience I it didn't. It. Again, I think that was the final movie of the greatest actor of all time. I think that was Daniel Day-Lewis's final film. Um the uh, number eight, the four hundred blows. Number seven, the handmaiden. Number six, Edward Yang's terrorizers. Number five, Mustang, the two thousand fifteen version. Number four, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number three, Columbus. Number two, Fallen Angels. Number one, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was great. Which uh, was great. A Fallen Angels. I hope you're talking about Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels, because man, do I love those movies. I will say this. I mean, I that's a great list. I am not. I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is not top shelf Quentin Tarantino to me. I agree. I know it's controversial. Not one of my favorite. Look, I love Inglorious Bastards. I love Pulp Fiction. I love the vast majority of his films. Yeah, I do too. And I, I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I did not love it. No, I walked out and thought, okay, that was good. I never felt the urge to watch again. Obviously, Brad Pitt's performance, insane. Leonardo DiCaprio's performance, insane. But there was so much of it that was just a very personal love letter to that age of Hollywood. And that's great, but it didn't really tell a story to me, especially everything to do, especially everything that had to do with uh, Margot Robbie's, what's the name of the character? Uh, Sharon, Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. It just felt utterly pointless. Like that, for, here, here's an example, that entire sequence where she goes walking into town and there's a lot of screen time spent on this. 
She was walking around town, talks to the movie theater owner, goes inside, watches her own movie. And I've, I have had conversations with this with people. It's like, that was utterly pointless. There was no point to that in the, what the story of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was. And somebody said to me, no, 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 John, you see, that let us see that she was really still an individual looking for that validation. She wanted to go in and see the people love her. I said, be that as it may. Her receiving that validation still had nothing to do with the movie. Right. None of that had I anything think they to want, do with you know, what was going on. You want to humanize her before she didn't die. You know? Yes, like, humanize her before she didn't die. And I know there was a lot of things in that that I thought was just empty time filler. And I get it. They spent a lot of time and money making the streets look like they were from that era. But man, I, I want to watch that movie again with a stopwatch of how much of this movie is just driving and looking at the scenery around them I, I again i like the movie i do i enjoy it so I thumbs up i just don't think it's one of tarantino's best but anyway that's just other than that great list man excellent list all right next up we've got nathan diggs who writes hey john at the end of deadpool 2 isn't deadpool a time variant that is hopping through the multiverse and breaking the fourth wall correcting mistakes he and ryan reynolds made if he's in the movie do you think that's how they'll introduce him he's absolutely not in the movie i can 100 percent guarantee you that he was not a time variant. He was our Deadpool with a time travel device jumping around in time and doing stuff like that. Or he was dreaming that. Or he was dreaming that. And it was a gag. Yeah. Let's be clear. That was a gag for a franchise that has no stakes. It's Deadpool. So, and, and don't worry, Nathan, I can 100% assure you that Ryan Reynolds is not in the next one. And I don't see a gag like that playing into Doctor Strange. Could it play into another Marvel movie at some point? Yes, they could, but I don't see them doing it, at least not with Doctor Strange 2. All right, next up, we got, I watch movies with my butthole. Of course, a reference to uh, Ray <laughs> talking about us earlier today. We need uh, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman giving Peacemaker the F me eyes at the end of the Peacemaker season finale. Keep up the great work and love your show. Ah, but we shouldn't get that. <laughs> and the reason we shouldn't get that is because the end, that whole thing at the end with uh, Arthur and Barry was, again, proving that everything Peacemaker says is bullshit. He has all of that wrong. <laughs> so if Wonder Woman had been there, she wouldn't have been giving him the, F the FBI's. Yeah, no. It would have been the complete opposite of that, because that's the whole point, that everything he said was complete nonsense. Um, all right, <laughs> next up, we've got Chuck the Mystery, who writes, Hey, John, I can't believe we're only a week away from game day. Uh, something I found interesting, of course, that's for the Batman. Something I found interesting in the marketing for the Batman is that they've given us plenty of shots of Riddler, but none of Edward unmasked. Any thoughts slash theories as to why they might be? Um, there are two theories that I have. One, eh, sort of, and one I think is more important. The sort of one is, there might, be some, there might be something of a disfiguration of the character. There might be something key to him that is important to the story of the movie that they don't want to reveal to us yet. That's a eh theory. More importantly, Riddler in that mask is far more compelling. I completely agree. Especially for trailers. That's the image we get excited yeah. about. I don't know. What do you think? I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely right. All right. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Chuck. Next up, we've got The Sock writes. Notice that Nordic theme, uh, entertainment, has been becoming has been becoming more mainstream. Uh, Vineland Saga, Hellblade, the main character, is 
Pictish, but the setting is Nordic, God of War, and now the Northmen. Just something I thought was interesting. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day saying, man, there's a lot of love for Vikings lately. Between the show Vikings and now its spinoff series, now we got the movie coming with Northmen and stuff like that. And why not? That is mythology that is cool as hell. So yes, make movies about that. Northman is probably my number two most anticipated movie of the year after the Batman. Very excited to see it. By the way, I haven't talked about it yet, but I saw Cyrano. My number three most anticipated movie of the and? year. And? I really enjoyed it. it it's not going to end up being in my top five favorite movies of okay. the year, but I very much enjoyed it. And Peter Dinklage is wonderful in it. Uh, I have a couple of issues with it, but overall, if you guys get a chance to see Cyrano, make sure you watch Cyrano. Okay. Next up, we've got Check the Mystery Rights. Flashpoint has had several variations on what the characters involved can remember after the event. Do you think that the J.K. Simmons version of Gordon will remember the Affleck Batman post-Flashpoint, or to him, will Keaton have always been his Batman? Hmm. Well, I mean, there's a couple things you got to understand. Number one, just because they did something in the comic book storyline or the animated version of the movie does not mean that's what they're doing in this Flash yeah, movie. Because remember... Technically, this movie is not called Flashpoint. I am guilty that I've constantly referred to it as the Flashpoint movie. It is not called the Flashpoint movie. It's just called The Flash. So they're taking themes from Flashpoint. We know that. But even if they did that part where some characters remember whatever, and blah, 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 I, I don't see anything that suggests that Gordon would be a character that would remember it. What do you think, Rob? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's all bets are off. And if the if the if 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 time itself is being changed by what Barry Allen does, who knows what Commissioner Gordon does and doesn't remember? I mean, the whole point of Flashpoint is that reality itself has changed. All right, next up, we got Deshaun who writes, Hey, John, hope you're having a great day. I am having a great day. Thank you for asking. For a while now, there has been a lot of fans yelling about how the MCU should make rated R content. That's a very small group of fans. That does not reflect the general movie-going audience. Has not been calling and for I R-rated MCU stuff. Anyway, about how the MCU should make R-rated content. And I, for one, don't think they should. The power of the MCU is that everyone, no matter the age, can watch together. But here's the thing. Tell me what the MCU has lacked that an R rating would give it. What, what's it missing? What, what, is, what is the big fatal flaw of the MCU that has stopped it from really having success that an R rating would fill that hole? I, mean, dude, I, I can't you think of anything. Winter Soldier straight up murdered Tony Stark's parents. Yeah. Like, that's pretty dark. Thor literally just decapitated uh, uh, an unarmed Thanos being held by both of his arms by the other Avengers, chopped his head off. Now, you could you could show that scene where Thanos' head is spewing purple blood or whatever and make it really, really graphic. Would that add to the scene? I mean, I, honestly, I think it would be really obtrusive. It was hardcore. When he cut his head off, I went, oh. In the movie, watching Endgame, when he does that, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my God. Now, if it, you had shown all this spurting blood, it would have been out of place. He still cut his head off, and it was still shocking. But you didn't need to see the blood flowing because that's that's not even in keeping with the tone of the other Marvel movies. They don't have to do that. The, the subject matter it doesn't change. It's just the way it's presented. Yeah. Now, again, if they soft pedaled Thor saying, oh, no, he really didn't cut off Thanos' head. I would have a problem. But yes. he did. He cut off Thanos' head. What more do you want? The thud and the rolling of it on the ground and the whole bit. Now, to use the sports analogy, and I know people hate it when I do, but like if you want to talk about, you know, a lot of people 
think that the Toronto Maple Leafs, let's pulling out the, the Toronto Maple Leafs need a new goaltender. They need to get a goaltender. Well, let's look at what this thing, they get scored on too much. There's a need there. That team gets scored on too much and a brand new, hopefully better goaltender. By the way, I'm making this up. The Toronto goaltender is very good. I'm just saying, if they were getting scored on far too much and they were giving up too many goals, then yes, a new and hopefully better goaltender could be something that come in. But if you're going to propose a massive shift in something, you first have to tell me what need are you filling? In what way is the MCU right now struggling being loved by their fans and struggling having box office success? And then once you tell me how they're struggling being beloved by their fans or struggling having success, which clearly they are not in either. Right. Then you have to tell me how does an R rating address whatever that need is that you're pointing out? And if you can't come up with a logical answer to that, then the answer is no, they shouldn't make R rated material. They don't need it. They're making high quality Academy Award nominated material that the audiences are loving and are busting box offices left, right, and center. It is the most successful film franchise in the history of cinema. So tell me again how they have to or they need to start making R-rated material. I don't get it. I don't either. What need are you meeting? You're trying to come up with a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. I mean, you get more F-words, maybe some nudity. Yeah, would and that, how does that make the movies better or I more successful? I don't think they would. I think it'd be out of place, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I agree. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Chuck the Mister who writes. Much like Rob, I love the Yvonne Craig version of Batgirl. I'm also a big fan of the animated series take on Batgirl. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the later seasons of the animated series after they changed the animation style but kept the same narrative? Did they change the animation style? Yeah, they much? made it more conventional, less like film noir, 40s yeah. stuff. I, I agree, but it does it didn't bother me. I, I barely mean, even noticed. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it that kind of stuff doesn't bother me because I'm all, always about story and character. But I mean, Batman the animated series is one of the great animated shows of all time. I think I, it's wonderful. It's really, really good. All right, next up, uh, we've got Chuck the Mystery Writes. One of two. Also, I wanted to mention that I was asked a question by a family member that I've only ever heard talked about on this show. I don't buy a lot of hot toys because of the expense. But the Val Kilmer Batman and Chris O'Donnell Robin were too good to pass up. Anyway, when my family member saw how much it costs to get these two figures, she said, at that price, what do they do? Does Batman throw his batarang or something? I was at a loss. What do they do? John, Rob, help. Thanks. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this before. What does the Mona Lisa do hanging on your wall? What does it do? Does it sing you soothing songs as you fall asleep? Does it rub your feet after a long, hard day? No, it's there because it's a thing of beauty and it brings you inspiration and joy. I get all these hot toys, not because, or I should say pops for my case, a couple of hot toys, but pops. I get them not because they do anything, not in a physical way. What they do is they inspire me. I look at them. I feel creative. I feel inspired. I, they bring me joy just by looking at them. What dollar value do, do you put on these things? Well, the dollar value that you can afford. Don't take out a second mortgage, kids, to get these things. But that's what they do. That's what, and I understand, I'm a pragmatist too. I want to know what function does something serve. But for me, the function that that Captain America, even though it's still in its box right now, because I haven't gotten around to putting it together, I just look up at it. That's my favorite MCU character. It makes me think about the great stories and courage and the, the, the character of 
of Steve Rogers and it inspires me, feels me, makes me feel creative in the work that I do every day. So that's what it does. Rob, you got more of these things than me. I, I agree with what you said, but I, I will say this. My grandmother was a total pragmatist and my grandfather collected stamps and collected coins and stuff. My grandmother did not understand the collector mentality. She used to say, wouldn't you rather spend money to have experiences like to go to Europe? or Which is go- wonderful advice. Yes, sure. and I think it's great advice. She was not a collector. And and uh, she did not believe in collecting, but and she was right because she was a pragmatist. I am not. I don't think you're a dreamer, John. I'm a dreamer. We're dreamers, and and for me, Hot Toys figures represents not only does it represent the character of Batman and all the Batman history from the comics and the animation, but it also represents the Joel Schumacher era of the franchise. Yeah, Val Kilmer is an actor. Chris O'Donnell's an actor. The costume design that went into that. It, it it actually is a representation of 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 Hollywood and what the magic of the movies is all about. And when I take a shelf and I fill it up with all different kinds of Hot Toys figures, like you had said previously, it becomes an inspirational repository of imagination, other people's imagination on many different levels. And when I see it all set up like that, I'm inspired, just like you said. It's inspiring. And, and, and it puts a smile on my face. It is instant happiness for me. Yes. Yeah, you walk into your room. You walk into your room where you have those all on display. Like, I had a buddy of mine. He's, he's moved away now. But I had a buddy of mine that had, like, eight glass cases filled with hot toys with a lit thing. And every time I walked in that room, I felt inspired. And I felt, that's so cool. And it put a smile on your face. Yeah. And here's the other thing. If you want to be a little bit more prag- pragmatic about it, too. What do you think you could sell all of your hot toys for tomorrow? Oh, if I had to, oh, tens of thousands of dollars. Right. So it it actually becomes a very, very little value losing investment. Like these things hold their value. Especially they if you keep not, the boxes intact. Yeah, they may not all go up in price, but the hot toy I bought for $275, I could probably at least sell it for $275, oh, if not more, because they don't make them anymore. Yeah, let me look. I'll, I'm going to look it up right now. That's look it up. up. Actually, I'm gonna, I'll pause this for a second while you look up that information. Well, John, you know, after giving a cursory glance to the old <laughs> internet, you can sell that Hot Toys figure that you bought for how much? I bought the Captain America Infinity War version for $250 at Frankenstein's. Well, there's some on eBay for sale for $599. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. What about the Jor-El? Uh, uh, the Jor-El is worth less because they made, he's not a primary character. Okay, that but, makes sense. That but, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, the it, 500, here's one for 531. Here's a cheap one, John, for 347. That's still like 100 bucks more than what I paid for it. Yep. See, so if you want to get a little practical, you could say, hey, I'm, I'm buying these so I can have my assets, my financial assets, you know, invested in these things that I can then sell later. And I'll tell you, you buy certain Star like I, I, mistakenly did not buy the dark side Anakin from uh, Attack of the, or Revenge of the Sith. I figured it'd always be available. Then I finally got around to wanting to buy it. it. They had it at Sideshow. I started paying it off. And in the process of me paying it off, they said, oh, we're sorry. We don't have them anymore. Now, that figure's like a grand. There you go. Many, many reasons. But again, we do not encourage the idea 
of getting out second mortgages on your house to buy these things and do not think that if you buy them that they will automatically go up in value. I'm not saying that at all. No, not and, and sometimes advice. they reissue them and you never know. You yep. never know. All right, let's keep going here. Next up, we got from Angel A who writes, with so many rumors of who's going to appear in Doctor Strange 2, what are the chances that we get to see Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams? Uh, given that it's confirmed that he is in the movie and it being a multiverse where most anyone can show up as a cameo, I'm going to go almost zero. Like, Bruce Campbell didn't show up as Ash in Spider-Man. He showed up as a different character. So, yes, Sam Raimi's going to follow his tradition of having Bruce Campbell pop up in his movies. The idea of him being Ash, though, I think is very low. Again, nothing's impossible. And I'm, John Campbell said it's not going to happen. No, 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 no. I'm just saying it's, I think, is a very, very slim possibility. I want him to show up as an old Doctor Strange variant. Oh, my God. Because he kind of looks like if you put a goatee on him. Here's a deep cut. What if he shows up as an old Elvis Presley? <sighs> huh? But that's John Co Don Coscarelli. That's... Uh, that's uh, Bubba Hotep. By the way, and I, if you haven't seen Bubba Hotep, you must. I don't know who owns the rights to Ash. Probably Sam Raimi because... Does he or does the studio? Uh, I don't it? know because... Because the studio made the movie, made a new they, uh, they, Evil Dead yeah, and everything. That's right. I don't know. That's a good question because... Is, he, he, and who, which, was it New Line you, that made that? It might have been Universal because they made Army of Darkness. Mm, that's so, so, so they would have to get the, I don't know. It and made, then there's the Ash versus the Evil Dead TV series. Yes. Which was, was that Stars? I think it was Stars. I don't know who owns, it'd be interesting to see. All right, next up, we've got Gage who writes, Hey guys, I had a thought. When you brought up House of M, do you think Marvel and Disney could be planning or already in the works for a House of M Disney Plus show? I could see them surprise revealing that after mutants are introduced in Multiverse of Madness, take care, guys. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Rob, and say completely no. House of M is something you do long after you have your X-Men world established. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is, like, if you're taking math, you, you, this isn't math 101, this is math, like advanced math 405, right? Uh, House of M is like an age of apocalypse, like a true age of apocalypse, not what we got from Fox, like a true age of apocalypse where that is something that comes much later. So I, I would say no, I don't think there's any immediate drawing plans for a House of M storyline, if ever. I think they're going to bring elements of house of m into dr strange 2 yeah Is i can see like known? flashback sequences of what the world sure was like before there were mutants and you know who knows but yeah i agree with you all right next up we've got stubble mcshave who writes john i'm worried about the batman and it's all because of you your enthusiasm of the different movies and series haven't fallen too good for you in 2022 you're excited about boba fett and uncharted while you were skeptical about peacemaker yeah but 90% of the things I've been excited about have turned out great. Yeah. And 90% of the things that I didn't think would work out so well didn't work out so well. And that's pretty standard from year to year. That, and here's the thing. It's like the fly on the wedding cake stuff. There's a fly on the wedding cake. That's a 99% white, beautiful thing. But all you see is the fly, right? Like I remember, like my box office prediction stuff is pretty good for, for a pundit at any rate. But the very fact that I keep having to mention now, I'm the guy that didn't think Aquaman would make a billion dollars. Right. I got to go back to a movie that came out three or four years ago, somewhere around six or 700 films ago that I forgot. And, and But that's true of everybody, right? Most people say, well, I'm looking forward to something. 
If it doesn't work out, you go say, oh, well, none of the movies you look forward to work out. No, that's just, you pointed out one or two that didn't. But I, I think for the most part, the stuff I've been looking forward to, I ended up enjoying. And for the most part, the stuff I didn't look forward to, I do. But I, I like to draw a lot of attention to the ones that have surprised me, negatively or positively. Like, I love drawing attention to something that I didn't think was going to work out so good and that I ended up loving because that's a really pleasant surprise and I love drawing attention to that. Yeah. And I also love drawing attention to something saying, hey, man, I was so excited about this and it didn't because, ho-hum, I was excited about it and I ended up really liking it. Okay, well, we don't talk about that as much as we do about the things that we are no. surprised by. I don't know. How do you see that? I see it exactly. I mean, we always think about the things that went wrong as opposed to the things that go right. Right. Because the things that go wrong are the ones that stick with us. You know, like, oh, man. I mean, I still think about things I did wrong in high school. You know, just uh, uh, just one little <laughs> one little choice I would have made that would have would have benefited me or rippled through time and helped me out Altered 20 your years fate. later. Yes. Created a variant. Yes. Create, and, and But I don't dwell on them. But I do think about them as somebody who likes to tell stories. And I go back and ruminate on, oh, I wonder what it would be if I had done this. How would that have affected? And you, you think about how your life would have ping-ponged around and you would have wound up in an entirely different place. All right, next up, we got uh, Austin M. who writes, Hey, John and Squad, I really enjoy your show. Thank you so much, man. Because I feel like movies allow people to have that time to relax and let their mind wander during hard times in life. But I was wondering, where is the white vision? And do you think he might show up in Doctor Strange 2? Well... <laughs> The one thing I would say about a vision in a Doctor Strange 2 is this. Wanda's there. Wanda actually directly mentions Viz. Well, now, this isn't Viz, Vision. This is white Vision. This is a different... He's got all of the essence of Vision. Whatever. It's Vision. So, since we see Wanda, and he is forever connected to the character of Wanda, and the fact that there is a name drop, it opens the door. I do not expect to see Vision in this thing, though. And where he goes is unimportant. That's obviously something they decided that, there, we're going to plant this seed and we'll come back and reap the fruit of it in two years, three years, four years, five years, whatever. It's not really important where he is right now. He could be on the far side of the moon. He could be pulling a Dr. Manhattan and be off on, where was Dr. Manhattan? On Mars? He or was, yeah, he was on uh, uh, Europa, Jupiter, Europa. I mean, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he could be off pulling a Dr. Manhattan somewhere. Um, so not really important. I, I would say I'm not expecting to see him in Doctor Strange 2, but if anybody randomly could pop up there, it would make sense for a vision just because of his connection to, to Wanda. I know, Rob, what do you think? Uh, it makes sense to me. I mean, where would he be? Where could he be? I, you know, I don't even want to speculate on that because I, I don't I don't know yet what's even happening. <laughs> you know, what? who went where? I don't know, man. I don't even know what happened at the end of WandaVision. I mean, we saw her... The last time we saw Wanda, she was in that little cabin in the woods studying the Darkhold. And now she's apparently a gardener and she's tending to her trees or whatever she's doing. What has she been doing? Don't know. For all we know, from the time that WandaVision ended to the time this movie started, Wanda could have done some horrible stuff. Maybe. You know. At the bidding of Dormammu? Uh, you just don't <laughs> know. We have to wait and see because how much time has passed? Months? It could have been too terribly long. No, but it's probably the same year. Yeah. So it's we know that Far From Home, or pardon me, No Way Home took place around Christmas time, at least, you know, at the end. Yeah, because, at some point it was Christmas. So so time. it's it's I think it's the year twenty twenty four. So the unsnapping happened in January, I think, and now we've seen 
all of these movies have taken place in that year. Right. And the shows. So Well, Wanda yeah, WandaVision takes place one week after the events of Endgame. Or right. how many weeks? No, no, no. Three, it wasn't one week. It was, it was like, like three weeks. Yeah, it was uh, there was a fixed period of time that was not long. Spider-Man No Way Home takes place well well i mean like spider-man far from home spider-man far from, far from home takes place well after the events that of summer. endgame and then no way home takes place after that and doctor strange 2 takes place after that so there's probably a good little bit of distance between the events of wandavision and this and one hawkeye takes place at christmas so right. of, of that year the end of that year after endgame right so. so we'll see we'll see all right next up we got ben rayner who writes Hey, John and or Rob or both. And we're both here. Hello. Uh, I have I have a way I saw. I have to weigh. Hmm. Hey, John and or Rob. I have to weigh. I saw a new trailer with Bruce Willis and Kevin Dillon drama from Entourage. I have to say, I think it looks fun. Might be copy and paste, but it looks fun to me. Also, National Treasure 3 is a fun franchise. Hope for three or National Treasure is a fun franchise. Hope for three. Um, but speaking of Kevin Dillon. And drama. Uh, the newest episode of Designing Hollywood on the John Campy YouTube channel is up with Robert Meyer Burnett interviewing and Doug Allen, the creator and showrunner of Showrunner of Entourage. And they've just started shooting his new show that Kevin Dillon is in, along with Charlie Sheen and Martin Sheen. I don't know what it's about. It doesn't have a title yet. He kind of said it was taking place in the modern day, and it's a reflection on what's going on with Hollywood, but pretty exciting. Um, I will say this. I do not know the trailer you're speaking of, uh, but my assumption is it's going to be garbage. Uh, Bruce Willis just does direct, not even direct to like Netflix, like direct to crappy home video nonsense. So I'm just going to assume it's probably garbage. I hopefully will be surprised, but I have no faith in anything Bruce Willis stars in these days. And it's too bad because he's one of the, all. he is an all-time great iconic figure I and know. when he cares about his career he's awesome and i will just remember that bruce willis uh, not the bruce willis we get these days unfortunately here's hoping for a big return to form for him though all right next up we got mark netto writes i remember seeing the incredibles with my wife at the premiere i saw up okay i remember seeing the incredibles with my wife at the premiere I saw Up. It hit home hard. My wife had passed between the two films. I remember the fun time we had with the family dynamic uh, in The Incredibles. Pixar hits on all cylinders waiting for L.Y. I don't know what L.Y. is. Lightyear. Oh, Lightyear. Okay. Um, well, first of all, Mark, you know, we talk a lot, uh, so many times in this show, about one of the... We actually just mentioned this this morning, too, on the John Campus Show. One of the beautiful things about the art of filmmaking and movies and these things is the emotional attachments and connections that we have because these are shared experiences. And all of a sudden, these movies, they take on additional meaning, very personal meanings. You know, we heard from somebody earlier today who talked about somebody they had lost in their life. I think it was their father. Yeah, their father. <clears throat> and talked about the anchor points that these movies created for the experiences they had. I've mentioned many times on the show, like um, Tim Burton's and Michael Keaton's first Batman movie was a movie that for me will always be synonymous with my, my best friend when I was younger, Brendan, who passed away a few years ago was one of the reasons that kind of shook me to say, I need to make a change in my life. And I left my job and I started doing the John Campion show because, because Brendan passed away. These movies, these shared experiences become these anchor points. And that is truly one of the most wonderful things about them. 
that they have that. Rob, I know you told stories about the personal relationships you, you have associated with certain movies and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, so, like my dad. I have this story when my dad used to take me to movies. I'd have to talk him into getting me into R-rated films when I was younger. 1981. I had him, I had my dad take me and like four of my friends to see Escape from New York. My dad usually never went and saw movies and he's like, Escape from New York, what is this movie about? And I quoted the poster. I said, dad, in 1997, New York is a walled maximum security prison. <laughs> breaking out is impossible, but breaking in is insane. And my dad stopped and he thought about it as we're pulling into the theater and he goes, would you boys mind if I came and saw this movie with you? And I went, nope, that was the only time we, I saw movies with my dad, but that was the only time he was dropping us kids off at a movie and he would have to buy the tickets because it was rated R, that he actually came in and sat with me and my four friends or whatever. And he loved it. He's like, this movie was great. I love this movie. And he goes, are all the movies you guys go and see are like this? And I'm like, yep. He never came to another one. I mean, I went to movies with him, but that was the only time he went with... I mean, and I was worried, like, would my friends think it was uncool that my dad was... And they loved it. They're like, Mr. Burnett, did you really love that movie? He's like, it was great. I love Snake Plissken. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Duke of New York. That's awesome. And, and that is awesome, Mark, that you have that sort of, that art, that piece of art that is that connection for you as well. So thanks for sharing your story, man. All right. Next up is Kylo Ken, who writes, oh, and this is the final one today. It comes from Kylo Ken, who writes, I have a new explanation for why no one remembers that mutants exist. In the Multiverse of Madness trailer, Wanda says, when you break the rules, you become a hero. When I do it, I become the enemy. What if Wanda isn't talking about the events that took place in Westview? Wanda used her powers to warp reality to make the population forget about mutants. She's upset about losing her brother, her husband, and her children. Uh, the no more mutants moment is her warping reality so that humanity forgets mutants ever existed. Okay, so Kylo Ken, this is the big problem with that theory that I've I've always had about Wanda making the world forget about mutants, about Professor X making the world forget about mutants. Here's the thing. That's only good for five seconds. Because I can forget, Professor X can make me forget that I have um, a basket of apples on the counter in my kitchen. Professor X can right now make me forget about and I'm sitting here, oh, I forgot that I don't, I don't have any fruit in my kitchen. What are you talking about? The moment I walk through that door, though, and go into my kitchen, oh, basket of apples. I didn't know I had those. I didn't know I had those, but now I have them. <coughs> now I got them. You can make the world forget that there are mutants, but that's only as good as however, whatever amount of time the thousands of mutants across the planet take to do something in front of somebody. And then you got to make the, you got to wipe their minds again. And then you got to wipe their minds again. That's why, Rob, when, when we heard that theory that not Wanda, not Professor X made people forget, Wanda actually changed the nature of reality that there are no more mutants and therefore nobody ever knew about them. That's why when that theory came up, you saw in my face, I'm going, oh my God, how, how would we not thought about that? Like, that's why I love that theory so much. I, it I, addresses the problem. And even the people that were experimenting on Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver Hydra. called the miracles. Hydra, yeah. they didn't have a word. There was no homo superior in that universe. Yes. She got rid of them all. You know, and uh, by the way, the more I think about this, I was talking about this on another stream over the weekend. And as we started to take it apart, my friend Lael was adding other wrinkles and details to it. And I'm like, wow, man, the deeper you go with this, the better it gets. 
And I mean, how cool is it going to be? And first of all, John, you know what you always say? What do you say about expectation? Never. It's it's cool to have uh, expectations. Sorry. It's cool to, to have speculations. Right. Just never let your speculation become expectation. I'm having a really hard time. <laughs> I know. Not, I... <laughs> not allowing this speculation to become my expectation yeah. because it's so cool. It's I love so the theory. Cool. I do too. Plus, it would just be at some point in the movie, whether it's Wolverine who's in this movie, which we don't know, if it's Professor X, when you hear this, what happened? For us, the audience, it's and if you've loved Marvel, when you actually hear it, if this is what they explain and that this is what... I'm getting chills right now. I haven't even seen uh, the scene. It might not even even exist, but I know what, how it will make me feel if I hear it in the context of this movie. Yeah. And, and and if they show, if Professor X uses his psychic powers, I remember, Doctor Strange, here's the way your world was. And Strange is, is it, even memories of him fighting alongside other mutants or some such thing. I know the timeline doesn't really work out, but something like that's going to be m- fucking mind blowing. Yeah, and and again, listen, it doesn't have to be that. Right. Like, we're just trying to come up with what it could be. But too many people, the reason we say don't let your speculation become expectation is because the problem that a lot of fans have is that they come up with a theory and they get so married to the theory that no matter how good the movie they go see is, if it doesn't do what they were expecting, right. they walk out upset. And I'm just like, okay, I think this is idea is great. But I'm going to take that, leave it at the door, go in and see what they got. Because, like, whether it's that or whether, like, Charles Xavier is there and he puts into, let me show you what happened in my world, in my universe. And Wanda Maximoff, like, helps destroy the world. And then whatever the Illuminati member is beside him. Now, let me show you what happened to mine. And it, again, was a Wanda that led to the destruction of the right. world. And like, and, and then here on your world, you don't know this, but this is what happened. Vroom. No more mutants and blah, blah, blah. And that's going to lead to this. I mean, I don't know. But again, this is just speculation. It's not our expectation. Yeah, yes. Even though I love this idea so much. So do I. So <laughs> I want to see it happen. The only thing that could be better is whatever Kevin Feige has in store for us. Right. right. This is the only thing that can be better. So see, anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment of Mailbag. Thank you so much, guys, for sending in all these comments and questions and for joining our show. And to all you guys who sent this stuff in, number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved with the John Campia YouTube channel. Thank you guys so much for your support. I want to thank the guy sitting over here, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, where can people follow you online? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or RMB, I think. Or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, but mostly here on The John Campia Show. And, of course, you guys can follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, simply at John Campia. Don't forget to come back and join us again for The John Campia Show tomorrow. We're going to have a good one tomorrow. Hope you guys join us. Also want to remind you guys, tomorrow, which is Tuesday, we have the newest installment of Movie Club to commemorate the opening of the Batman next week, at least for the big fan screening on March 1st, we're going to be going back to visiting the first Christopher Nolan one, Batman Begins. I almost said The Dark Knight. That wasn't it. But <laughs> Batman, we're going to go back and visit the Batman Begins. So make sure you join us for Movie Club on that tomorrow. Neesons. Oh, the Neesons? Anyway, guys, it's great to have you here. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.